Chrisman here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have a message from the third Sunday of Advent, and we're looking at some words from Paul in Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 7, uh, which deal with rejoicing and end up with peace. Some really necessary stuff from our life. I, I got a whole lot out of this personally as I was preparing. I think uh, with our world the way it is right now, this is a very timely message. So let's go ahead and head to the talk. We've got all kinds of things coming up. Uh, You can check us out on the web for that. But don't forget our Christmas Eve service, 5 o'clock Christmas Eve. Come join us and uh, hope to see you there. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Today, we are going to be, we, we are in the third Sunday of Advent, and we are going to be looking at a passage from Philippians. The gospel passage from the lectionary today uh, was actually from Matthew, and I realized that in my zeal to speak about John the Baptist, that I actually covered that passage as well as last week's passage together. So, uh, today we're going to do the passage from Philippians. And the passage from Philippians uh, has two of, the, two of the themes that we find reoccurring in the Advent story, uh, things that we sing about quite often, uh, peace and rejoicing. So why don't you all stand up with me? We're going to read this passage. It's on the front of your um, bulletin there. We will read this together on the count of three. One, two, three. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, you can have a seat. So this passage ends in a place of speaking of the peace of God that is available to us, a peace that will actually protect us in a sense, that will guard our hearts and minds. Who wants some of that right now? Okay, who's awake? Uh, (laughs) But before we get to that part, I want to discuss a little bit about what do we mean by peace? Oftentimes, I find that that people uh, consider peace as just the absence of conflict. If we can just stop this conflict, then we'll be at peace. But for those of us who are prone to passive aggressiveness, sometimes the lack of conflict doesn't mean uh, that that peace has come. You with me? Uh, Sometimes it just means that things have been pushed under the surface. (laughs) Back in the first century, the Roman idea of peace was that you would uh, defeat all of your enemies and then there would be peace. 
And that's, I, I, I hear many people saying today, you know, I mean, that's kind of uh, even an American notion, you know, we defeat everybody and then we will have peace. In the history of the world, though, that doesn't work very long. I imagine if, if you're a person living in North Korea right now, you could say, it's a very peaceful country, right? I mean, nobody goes out in the streets and does demonstrations against the government. Nobody's taking to social media with hashtags about their favorite cause of the day because there's probably no internet (laughs) in North Korea. Why is it that North Korea is so peaceful? Shouldn't we aspire to be like them? No. They're peaceful because there is the threat of violence. You get out of line, you will be punished, tortured, killed. When Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, it happened to be at the height of what was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And it's a period that, you know, scholars kind of debate the, the, the length of it. There was at least about 100 years that were definitely peaceful. Sometimes the, the propaganda of Rome seems to push it to two or 300 years. But it was an unprecedented event in the history of the world, a time where there was just peace all across this empire. Well, relative peace. (laughs) Rome had subjected all of the enemies, had provided infrastructure, roads, aqueducts, coliseums, government. And it was a time where the empire was relatively peaceful. If you were a Roman citizen, you, you didn't find yourself regularly embattled in wars. And that had been the case for the 200 years up to that point. But there was a dark side to the Roman peace, much in the way that there would be the dark side to North Korean peace right now. And the dark side was this. That peace was held together with the threat of violence. Do you realize that Jesus, when he was just a, a, a boy, just a child, that the Romans had put down a, a rebellion in a city called Sepphoris, which was just a few miles from where Jesus grew up in Galilee. It was the, the capital city of Galilee. Um, some have even speculated that his father might have been a part of the re- revolt uh, there. The Romans came down on this revolt so hard that there were some 2,000 men, women, and children crucified. I live in Abita Springs. That's like five times the population of my, my town. Crucified. Men, women, and children. The reports in the history books were that the, the, the suffering was so incredible that you could hear their screams 20 miles away. That's Roman peace. That's in the middle of the Pax Romana. That's the place where Jesus grew up. And Jesus comes into our world as Isaiah 9, 6 prophesies, among other things, he comes in as the Prince of Peace. If I look around at the world today, you, you, you would have to just almost have your head buried in the sand to say that our world is more peaceful now than it was uh, 2,000 years ago, Right? It seems like it's the same old thing going on. For, for all the announcement of peace on earth, goodwill to men, when we look around, I find myself kind of agreeing with Bono, who wrote a kind of sarcastic song, uh, Peace on Earth. Jesus, can you take the time, throw a drowning man a line, peace on earth? 
When we look around, we don't see an absence of conflict. And in fact, it seems like conflict tends to be increasing on the rise. Maybe it's just that we get more exposure to it. So what is this peace that Jesus brings? Well, as Christians, we do believe that one day we will see the absence of conflict. We believe the prophecies from the Old Testament where we will see the lion lay down with the lamb, that we will see people beat their swords into plowshares, that nations will be at peace with one another. We believe in that. We look forward to the day where Christ reigns. But the, but the hope that we have right now between the first advent and the second advent is that we can actually have a foretaste of that peace right now. And this peace... Is, is what the, the Bible calls shalom. The word translated peace throughout the Old Testament and, and the concept of peace that, that Paul would have grown up having was shalom. And shalom isn't necessarily an absence of conflict. It's wholeness, completeness, harmony. It is peace in the middle of the storm. If we look at the New Testament, I mean, I think we would we, we buy into this idea oftentimes in America, hey, if you just follow Jesus, you pray enough, your, your, your life's just going to get great. You're going to be exempted from conflict. I'd love that. <laughs> but when I look at the New Testament, I see the ones that were closest to Jesus, they were thrown into conflict over and over and over again. Keep in mind that when Paul is writing about this peace that is available to us, and in the next few verses, which I'm not going to get into them because they're probably next week's verses, uh, he talks about meditating on things that are pure and lovely. I mean, if you look at the, the, the whole book of Philippians, it's probably the most upbeat, happy book in, in the New Testament. But you know where it was written? In prison. Paul wrote this cheerfully upbeat, joyful, rejoicing letter to this church that he planted while he's in the midst of a Roman prison on death row. I want some of that peace. So the peace that, that, that Jesus offers us is not an exemption from our circumstances. It's not that everybody's going to get along and we're going to just sing Kumbaya. Uh, I think if, if I experience a conflict, conflict week-free, conflict-free week, in my life, I wouldn't know what to do with it, right? <laughs> it's the water we swim in. But Jesus does offer us a peace on the inside that will actually guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So how do we come about this peace, this shalom that Jesus offers us? Well, the, the first thing that Paul says is rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. What does it mean to rejoice? Rejoicing is, I, I really think of it as, as, a, as a posture to our world. Gene Edwards in his book, Tell the Three Kings, he said, uh, the gift of fault finding is a cheap gift. You know, we are in awe of gifted people, right? Drew Brees, Yo-Yo Ma, uh, doctors, I mean, people who are just skillful in their field. We're, we're in awe of these people because they're so gifted, but there's a gift that all of us have. It's the cheapest of gifts. The ability to find fault. I find people who come to this church quite often, uh, they usually don't last very long here. They come and say, you know, they don't actually say this, but God has blessed me 
with the ability to find fault and things. And I just wanted to share some of my, <laughs> my insights with you. Uh, God, God's given me this, the special spiritual insight of, we'll call it discernment, but it's really fault finding. Um, <laughs> and there's plenty of stuff you can find fault with us about. I mean, the, the, look, if you get started. I remember when I had my first uh, roommate out of high school. He was my best friend. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny when you move out and live on your own for the first time. Nothing has prepared you for, like, all those adult things. Like, there's nobody else to wash the dishes or do your clothes or vacuum. So my life was pretty disgusting for those first couple of years. And I remember a particular impasse me and my roommate got into. Uh, We had had some dirty dishes in the sink. And so one of us decided, I can't remember who, one of us decided, we need to let those dishes soak, right? (laughs) So we'll just fill that thing up with some water. And so they soaked for a day, two days, three days, two weeks. It finally got to the point where there was just like this film and green stuff. I mean, it was, it was so gross that my girlfriend at the time finally came over with like a hazmat suit to, to just rescue us. But we had gotten to an impasse because we each kind of blamed the other person. Hey, those are your dishes. No, I don't remember anything about it, man. I mean, I soaked them. I tried to help you out. Um, but I remember getting to a point with, with my best friend. He had been my best friend for, for years. But over just a few little nagging things, I began to find more fault and more fault until all of a sudden I couldn't see this person as my friend anymore. You might have gotten that way in your marriage relationship before. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You start off with, with one little thing, you start finding fault, and then pretty soon you can't see anything good about this other person. The gift of fault-finding is a cheap gift that will lead you on a downward spiral of negativity. But the opposite is true of rejoicing. When we rejoice, rejoicing is simply admitting the gift of God that is all around us. Rejoicing is, is saying, God, I am blessed just simply because of you, number one all the things that you've given me as well. Are you breathing in here this morning? You're blessed. You got some people in your life that love you? You're blessed. You you got food on your table? You're blessed. I found myself even this week just in a few conversations with people, and I probably should have told them about it, but I didn't. Um... But I just found myself walking away going, I'm so blessed. I'm so enriched by the conversations that I have with other brothers and sisters in Christ. They, they actually build me up. I'm so blessed by, by what God is doing in my life, by, by my family, my kids. I'm, I'm a rich man. Rejoicing is the opposite of fault finding. It's a posture of thankfulness. And here's the thing. It's like an upward spiral. Can we have an upward spiral? Let's have upward spirals. When you begin rejoicing, 
you begin to now notice God in things where you didn't notice God before. Have you ever noticed that before? I mean, if you just try this with a human being, you start noticing some good things about that other person. Maybe married people, you need to try this today. Think about some things you like about that person. All of a sudden, it opens your eyes to other things that you begin to like about that person. The same thing goes with God. When we get ourselves in a posture of rejoicing, all of a sudden, we get to notice God all over the place. We notice God in conversations with our friends. We notice God in songs on the radio. We notice God in movies. We, we notice God all around us. He becomes infinitely bigger than if we were finding faults. Because when you do that downward spiral of finding fault, guess what? You become defensive. You become protective. You start blaming other people. All of a sudden, you were the victim of the wrongs of everybody else. All of a sudden, everybody else is responsible for your happiness. And that's a losing thing. Let me tell you. But when we rejoice, we're freed. We're freed from victimization of our circumstances. We notice God everywhere. Secondly, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness is not being nice. We people in the South, we know how to be nice, right? I've had people from other parts of the country go, wow, folks down here are so nice, but they're kind of fake sometimes. (laughs) Like, well, that's nice. Thank you for your observation. (laughs) we know how to be nice but a lot of times that's just kind of faking it gentleness is is um sensitivity of disposition disposition and kindness of behavior founded on strength and prompted by love gentleness is, is is the way we carry ourselves it's walking in humility not having to have the last word the way we carry our beliefs, our doctrines, the things that are important to us, that we're gentle. Because he says the Lord is near. <laughs> and I think this, this is part of it. I think that this stuff is, is um, cumulative here. We rejoice, and that rejoicing even helps us to walk in gentleness because now, instead of going in a downward spiral of negativity, now we're freed from that. We're acknowledging God all around. Now we've taken our hands off. Now we can be gentle. (laughs) And now we begin to see that God is near. He's all around us. And then the final thing that he says, don't be anxious about anything. Come on, Paul. You seen the world we're living in today? Have you seen the world we're living in? Paul would say, have you seen the prison I'm living in? (laughs) Come on. We like to think that our world is somehow better off than Paul's world. It's not. Don't shout me down now. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, when Dina and I first got married, (laughs) we had a couple of years where We were both in college full-time. I was doing landscaping jobs on the side and playing music. And sometimes all the landscaping jobs and all the music jobs would just dry up. It's not that I didn't want to work. There just wasn't work. Sometimes for weeks at a time. And anxiety would be at our door. How are we going to make it? It was even worse when when Tevia came along because now there's a baby involved. How are we going to do this? 
And there were several times, you might need to try this in your own marriage or in your own life yourself. There were several times where we had to just press pause and say, let's walk around the house and begin thanking God. And we'd start with the easy stuff like that couch. Did we buy that couch? No. Somebody gave us that couch. Okay. What about this TV? Gift. <laughs> what about that kitchen table? Gift. We realized like, like we had nothing. We were like four or $5,000 below the poverty line. And somehow we had all these things. And then we could move from the things to the, to the things that are really important, which are the un, in, 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 intangibles. Right? Untangible, intangibles. The best things in life aren't things. And we could move to those and just begin thanking. And so we would actually spend uh, some time. We, sometimes it would go on 30 minutes, an hour, just thanking God for everything we could. And all of a sudden, the, the situation in our life gets flipped upside down. All of a sudden, we're not anxious anymore. We're in a posture of thanksgiving. And now we could move from that into prayer. Sometimes I think we pray prayers that are so based on panic. You ever pray those prayers? I mean, sometimes that's all you got. But sometimes our prayers are like, oh, God, please help me. I'm not going to make it. But there's a completely different thing when you come to God in a spirit of rejoicing because your prayers are based not on anxiety and panic. They're based on trust. And this is what our prayers would look like. Okay, God, looking at the couch and the table and the baby bed and the formula and the baby clothes and everything you've been doing in our lives for these years, our relationships, the way you've been moving, looking at all these things, we know that we are still here today because of you. Because you've always come through. And so, God, we come to you today with our needs. We don't think we're going to be able to pay the bills. We don't see any way that this logically works out that we can meet our bills today. But we know there's never been a situation you haven't met in our lives. So, Lord, can you come and meet this need? You see how that prayer is different? And that's where we need to go with God. And I think that's what Paul's getting. And this is what, where Paul ends up. And he said, when you do that... Then the peace of God, which is bigger than your understanding, which surpasses your understanding, which transcends your understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying there? He says you're going to get a peace that's not going to make sense logically. People are going to look at your life and go, how do you have peace? Have you seen your life? (laughs) It won't make sense that you're not shaken, that you're just, you're, you're, you're not stirred either. It won't make sense. It may not even make sense to you. <laughs> but that'll guard your hearts and minds. This is the peace that Jesus offers us. This is what we celebrate when we look to the coming of Jesus into our world. That, that right now, even though we haven't seen the end to conflict in our world, even though it looks like the, the nations of the world are raging against one another, even it, though it looks like our economy is on shaky ground, even though there's corruption and politics and violence in the streets, we can have a foretaste of the kingdom to come right now. The peace of God can rule in our hearts, and guess what? It protects us. It protects us from the things that will ultimately take us down. Because when your heart gets overcome with fear and anxiety, 
bad things happen. Just watch Star Wars. <laughs> Shameless plug. They paid me. No. <laughs> All right. We're going to close by uh, receiving communion this morning. I want to invite Mitchell and Sarah up here. And as you come to the table this morning, let's rejoice. Let's celebrate this Jesus who's come into our world and taken everything, taken the worst that we could throw at him upon himself and extended us love and compassion. This Jesus whose broken body means our wholeness, our shalom. This communion table represents the very peace of God available to us today. Here's the deal. If you're in here today, uh, you don't have to come here. You don't have to take communion. But this table is open for anyone who's moving towards Jesus. And as we do, faith is going to lead us in the uh, a Christmas carol that we sing every year. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come to you, O Israel. Why don't you come forward whenever you want.